0: Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stephen Posthuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. The gig economy has afforded its workers an unprecedented level of flexibility when it comes to work life. However, with this changing world of work come concerns about things like safety, minimum pay levels, leave, and other worker rights. In an effort to address these concerns, the Labor government are now proposing legislation that reshapes how we see gig workers and what their entitlements may be. However, the variety of gig jobs out there means the task of legislating worker entitlements is going to be a very difficult one. Joining me today to discuss the complexity and the possible impacts of the proposed legislation is Giuseppe Carabetta, Associate Professor of Employment Law at the UTS Business School, and Katie Swetman, Employment, Industrial Relations and Discrimination Lawyer at Kingston Reed. Giuseppe, Katie, thanks so much for joining me today here on Think Business Futures.
1: Thank you.
2: Yes, thank you, Stefan. Now, Giuseppe, let's start with
0: you. Obviously, there's a lot going on when it comes to gig economy workers and legislation. The Labor government's putting forth legislation to change a whole raft of things. Now, I want to sort of look a bit more broadly first, because they're not only focusing on gig economy workers, but also on temporary work, labor hire, casual work, fixed term contracts and all those sorts of things. Now, Giuseppe, what are sort of the broader issues in terms of employment that Labor are trying to address here?
2: Okay, so they, I mean, it's all under the umbrella of insecure work. Basically, they're saying that these atypical, in inverted commas, areas of work are getting more widespread, certainly, and they want to achieve a balance between the flexibility that these arrangements arguably offer and, you know, more security for the workers. So, you know, areas like uh, aged care are taking particular sort of prominence in this year, you know the classic example is uh of a worker who is on back-to-back fixed-term contracts like a series of them um and they can't in practical terms really apply for things like a home loan and that kind of thing so they want to without revamping the whole system but they want to basically provide afford more uh, more certainty and yeah more security to these particular workers
0: do you do you agree with that katie is there anything you want to add, add to that at all
1: Uh, I think when you're looking at the broader question of insecure work, it's interesting what's being approached. So there's been a lot of discussion about casual employment as requiring greater regulation and tightening up of what constitutes casual employment and providing stronger pathways to permanent employment. Mm. To some degree, I think it's a solution in search of a problem, because when you look at the data around casualization of the workforce, the actual proportion of workers in casual work has remained pretty stable for about 30 years. Yeah. And in the last two years, we've had a lot greater certainty about what is a casual employee, thanks to the High Court looking at this question pretty closely. And arising out of a lot of the litigation that's happening in the space, we do actually now have a definition in the Footwork Act of what is a casual employee Mm. and how casual employees who do end up working on an ongoing regular basis can have a pathway to permanent employment. And what we're seeing is actually not taken up with any great gusto by casual employees people like to have the flexibility of casual employment it's interesting having this all framed under this general umbrella of insecure work because insecure work means different things to different people and for Mm. a lot of people who are entering into these insecure types of work for want of a better word that's actually their active choice because they want to structure their work in a particular way and the days of you know, we have a, a, a nine to five Monday to Friday job, 38 hours per week, um, working for the same employer for 52 weeks of the year is really a thing of the past in a lot of ways. And so it's an interesting discussion because there's a lot of focus about giving people access to permanent um, or more secure work. Uh, and what Giuseppe says is right, like there's implications for people in terms of if they don't have regular pay slips, but this is not something that's that's changed markedly over the last number of years. Um, people want to go into independent contract arrangements. People want to work in labour hire. People want to do casual work. And given the focus of this discussion, people want to do gig work because yeah. that works for them in their own, own circumstances. Yeah. So it's a really interesting discussion and will be one to see what the legislation coming out, will ultimately be because um, Giuseppe is quite right that it is proposed legislation and the department we know is working on that feverishly at the moment trying to work out how to build this legislation but it's going to be a real challenge for them because trying to simply wrap an employment law framework around these new and emerging types of work is going to have a whole lot of unintended consequences and, and the department will be really mindful to make sure that they're not stifling people being able to work in the way that they want to work, given how that's changed, particularly post-pandemic.
2: I I agree uh, entirely, actually. Um, I think a really important issue will be, I mean, I don't like to talk about the university sector because I'm a, you know, an academic egghead, and, and really it's not that relevant to most people. But if I can use that example, this is the casualisation issue has been where we're up there, we're almost with hospitality. It's a massive, massive mm. issue. And as Katie says, it, sometimes it is certainly by choice. And the classic example, to go back to gig, would be people who are... Um, approaching retirement for example that that's one just one example of people who choose um, to do this uh, you know so-called insecure work so there is that element but a, a really important point um, would be whether the government sees to introduce something by way of an option there rather than you know saying okay well if you've been a casual for a certain amount of time then you know we're going to mandate that employers need to convert you. What, what they've tried to do in the university sector is say, well, it's an option, so we'll give workers that option, but it's certainly not mandatory. So I think that's a, a really important distinction as well.
0: Mm, absolutely. Giuseppe, let's, let's break down the issues. We'll, we'll start talking about gig work now. What are the major issues of the gig economy and gig workers that they're facing that Labor are trying to address with this proposed legislation?
2: Well, Labor's basically saying that they want a a floor and they want an, a level playing field. Now, again, it's really complicated because, as as Katie will attest, I'm sure, um, you can't make an overgeneralized statements about gig work. They're all the platforms, for example, the digital platforms. They, there's there's a vast amount of variety in the way that they operate. It's very difficult to try and try and extrapolate. But what Labour is saying is that even if like in in theoretical terms, they don't want to race to the bottom. So they want to have – they don't want to reclassify the workers. This is what we're getting. So they don't want to convert their status to employee status. They want certainty where um, this issue of are you an employee or are you an independent contractor. Again, it depends on the particular model. But where, where it's a borderline issue, they want, they want to provide certainty there. They have said though very importantly that and, and the platforms like this they want to and the, and many of the workers will like this as well, they want to maintain um, the independence and, and the, the flexible nature of the work. but on the other hand, they want to afford some sort of well particularly the minimum wage, but you know certain minimum entitlements without actually converting their status uh, entirely. So they want to give the fair Work Commission power to set some sort of platform. If it's across the sector, that's another interesting issue because uh, we have the Ubers, the menu logs, if I can speak for menu log, we have reportedly they're saying and others are saying, well, you have to try and tailor it to the particular platform mm. or the particular. You can't just have a, a, a broad floor. But my sense is that the, in practical terms, the ALP will go for a an industry-wide sort of um, Uh, parameter or parameters for the Fair Work Commission to work within.
0: Okay. Katie, do you want to just extend a little bit on what are some of the issues sort of faced by gig workers? Now, the safety of people like Uber Eats and Menu Log drivers and riders and things like that was was a really really big uh, point in the news last year after some accidents and things like that. Uh, we're also talking about things like superannuation and you know m- minimum pay pay levels and things. Where's the balance between the economic issues and the safety issues and then and then the job security issues as as well? What are we really trying to address? That are the concerns of these gig workers or concerns?
1: Yeah, and I think it's different concerns depending on the the worker, the the industry that they're working in, the platform that they're working for, um, and some of the surrounding community expectations that exist. Um, Much of it really depends on where the worker is in their life, in the life cycle of their time uh, working with a particular platform. Because what what we see uh, is that gig workers really value the flexibility that they they get with their work, that they they structure the way that they work to optimise their earnings and multi-apping um, in on-demand delivery services is a phenomenon which um, provides scope for these gig workers to earn really great money, but also creates some really interesting issues for uh, regulation, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on at some point. Um, the issue becomes when uh, a gig, when a worker Uh, has their services agreement terminated for whatever reason um, for service failures and then they want to challenge the termination of their contract and then that's where we see unfair dismissal applications being made and attempts to have those workers reclassified as employees so they can access that unfair dismissal jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission. So there's been recommendations made um, both out of the Victorian on-demand inquiry uh, that was conducted by Natalie James a couple of years ago, recommending that dispute settlement provisions are set up. And I think we can absolutely expect that any new system that's set up by the Fair Work Commission will include dispute settlement provisions. And then we get into other areas such as access to insurance, workers' compensation, superannuation. And that's a really challenging issue because what I think you see is that different platforms who've said quite publicly that um, they'd, they'd be interested in looking at different benefits and they'd like to enhance the benefits that get offered to workers who are providing services through their platform. But there is this fear of the the status being reclassified or recharacterised, um, that they expose themselves to being the next fedora, where there's a finding made by a regulatory body that the The workers are in fact employees and that there's a back payment of of employment entitlements that arises. But um, a lot of the focus has been on on on-demand delivery services. There's different issues that arise in other sectors that are in this space. Disability support is really interesting because you've got those operating independent contractor models such as Mabel, um, but then you've got others who are operating employment models such as higher up. And so when you're talking about what are the entitlements and what are the conditions and what are the issues, they're going to be really different depending on what the platform is and how they set themselves up. So yeah, it does raise some really interesting issues for the regulators in terms of how they will approach these issues, because I think there's a desire to do more, but this challenge of when you do do something more, does that change the dynamic and the nature of the relationship and mean that at law it might end up being something different? And as much as the High Court gave us some clarity around that in recent decisions where it's saying, you know, you look at the contract, what do the parties agree to? We've still got the government wanting to look at this in terms of, okay, well, what is the true nature of the, the relationship and, and what are the benefits that should be given without completely upending how these platforms operate?
0: Mm. Now, when you look at the the flexibility component, if if people want to work anywhere from one hour a week to twenty hours a week, or and 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 they want this to be constantly changing. Now, you also mentioned Katie, you know, people being multi-app workers when it comes to things like food delivery services and things like that. Giuseppe, you mentioned before as well that you you believe that this proposed legislation might be sort of a bit more industry-wide and potentially not as flexible as it needs to be. I mean, if we can sort of put up a hypothetical, you know, bill, what impact will this have on the flexibility of workers? I mean, part of the appeal is that, as you mentioned, someone that's going into retirement or someone who wants to make a little bit of money on the side can log on to Uber whenever they want. They can drive for two or three hours because they've got nothing to do that afternoon, make a little bit of money. With a potential big change that's that's quite broad, how does this impact that person?
1: Yeah, and this is where it, like it is an interesting and really challenging space because you've got um, arrangements where so the traditional sort of independent contracting unit may be for a particular project where you need to deliver a yeah. project which will take a number of hours. And so you can look at that through the rubric of, okay, if you broke down the number of hours that you worked and what you were paid for that, how could we – view that through an employment lens. Um, and if you're looking at disability services, a similar thing can arise where you know you're hooking up a consumer with a disability support worker who might work with them over a number of hours over a long period of time. And but then when you go into other industries such as uh, you've got Airtasker, which is purely gig, um, and then but and then you've got on-demand delivery services where Each gig is counted in minutes rather than in hours or weeks or months. And so when you've got a situation where an individual worker could be performing work for two or more platforms in a space of an hour or, or two, How do you place an employment law rubric over that? Because when you're looking at things like minimum engagement, you know, what is the minimum amount of time that employees should be given access to work to make it worth their while and things like that, that becomes much more challenging to manage when you're looking at these gigs that are, you know, 10, 20 minutes at a time and then they'll be moving to a different platform and doing and performing a different gig. So it throws up these a lot of really interesting issues in terms of how do you actually provide protections And we can't simply shoehorn an employment law framework into it that we might be tempted to do when looking at the owner driver chapter six arrangements in New South Wales um, and applying that to this to on demand delivery services is going to be a really challenging fit.
0: Mm. we are living in a, in a kind of a new world when it comes to employment and we saw you know over the last decade or, or whatever this sort of move towards making more people casual employees or temporary employees or contract employees and things like that to allow flexibility for for businesses and we've seen that as you mentioned like in the university sector and across the public service and now we're sort of looking at implementing these changes Giuseppe, do you think that the potential mess or the potential difficulties and the potential tweaks and changes that need to take place in order to get a system running is just kind of like a a necessary evil of moving towards some stability and into sort of a new frame when it comes to looking at employment regulation and things like that in in this sort of new tech Uberized world that we're talking about? You
2: know, in effect, you're creating... a an unanticipated model, and how do you achieve? How do you strike that balance? Is is the uh, is the real question here? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I, the government has now drawn the line and said we're actually we're definitely going to do this. It's just a question of how we're going to do it, possibly to appease some of the platforms. But they've they've said that um, we do want to try and strike this balance, and we do want to preserve this flexibility. But we want to we want to floor at the same time in terms of employee protections and go back to go back to your earlier question. The issues are so safety, as you as you mentioned, workers' compensation, superannuation, and leave entitlements. I, I know that some voluntarily, um, some of the platforms have already said well. We will provide you with insurance where you know, for example, you become sick, or we will provide parental leave. So we we have seen some moves into that direction, but where we end up is going to be the really interesting question. And and how do you actually formulate it so that you keep everyone happy, mm. <laughs> all the parties?
0: Okay, uh, Katie, do you want to talk a little bit more about some of the organisations that have sort of been on the front foot when attacking this? We've had, for example, DoorDash. Uh, sign an MOU with the Transport Workers Union, Uber. Uber's come to an understanding with them as well and Menulog made some decisions to make many of their workers employees. Tell us a bit about what these different responses kind of mean and from your standpoint, what what these businesses are, are, are trying to do and how they're thinking, thinking through this situation.
1: Yeah, in the circumstances that there isn't a neat fit for these businesses in the Australian regulatory framework. I think there's an acceptance that there is a need for some form of minimum standards that will operate. And I think that the critical concern for the platforms is that those minimum standards need to be nationally consistent and they need to apply across the board. So the types of issues that have been raised by the platforms in terms of how regulation has been approached to date has been that it has been discussed as being on a state-by-state basis um, and different requirements arising, which creates all sorts of problems for how do you configure apps so that they can work effectively across Mm. different state borders. And then platforms do largely want to be able to offer additional benefits and make their platforms the place that workers want to provide their services, but they need to be able to do that in a sustainable way that doesn't erode their ability to, to compete and offer their, their products to consumers at a price that consumers are prepared to pay. So I think what you see when you look at things like the the different platforms, their submissions through to the different government inquiries that have that have happened to date, um, submissions into the, the new Queensland laws under the Industrial Relations Act, which look to regulate on-demand delivery. The biggest thing that they're saying is we're down for some regulation, but it must be nationally consistent and it must apply to everyone. So talking about things like portable leave schemes is great, but if it's an opt-in system where you've got platforms don't have to participate, then that's a problem because it just means that those platforms are carrying that cost, which becomes unsustainable.
2: Can I just add? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Katie's point about um, you know being able to attract uh, labour as well and being competitive in that respect, the platforms are generally saying that, well, look, we're happy with uh, you setting the parameters for a floor, but uh, we want it to be a genuine floor. Mm. So in terms of, you know, whatever minimum standard, but particularly pay, but we also need that discretion to go up from that. So, you know, that should be up to us to be able to to do that. So to set that standard.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do do you think Giuseppe that there is any threats to the business model of some of these tech companies? You know, there might be ones that are just starting out, yeah. uh, just moving into the space and things like that. Is there is there threats here when it comes to the economics?
2: Yeah, look, it, that uh, economics was my, it takes me back 20 years to spy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I, I'm taking, a you know, an inferential, an educated guess here. And I'd say that if you're just competing on the basis of, um, how you're treating your workers, and that's it. And you're not focusing on technology and other things. Yeah, there will be there will be those who just won't be able to survive. Mm. Again, we're just speculating on how far these things are going to go. But um, I think generally speaking, though, that there will be sufficient room, and that uh, again, depending on where we end up, that a lot of the platforms will be will be able to to cope with the changes over the longer term. And there's also obvious benefits in terms of sustainability, and in terms of I suppose, getting a connection with your workers and that kind of thing as well.
0: Mm. Do you think, Katie, when it comes to these sorts of things, there there is a bit of, uh, you know, shareholder expectation as well and, and that plays into sort of the economics and, and the identity of these innovative tech companies that are global a lot of the time as well?
1: Obviously, they need to make money, but I think when you actually drill down and you look at it, um, a lot of these platforms are not making huge profits it's all about building the platforms till they achieve such a scale that they do start making the the profit and recent examples you can see in the it's not on-demand delivery so to speak but the 10-minute grocery delivery where for a period of time I think we had four different operators in Australia and, and at least two of those are gone now and One of the remaining ones has been under some extreme pressure and has has conceded that it's running its system at a loss because they're just trying to build the scale to make it profitable. You know, there can be criticism in other parts of the economy that there's been pressure put on workers because there's a a desire to, to always be increasing profits. I think in this space where it's interesting is that they're striving to achieve a profit in the first place and it's about trying to build that scale so that that can be achieved. It's a different and a more difficult conversation to have in that regard because it is that thing of consumers will only pay so much and that's not to say that that should be off the back of workers, but that is to say that the system can work in a way which benefits everyone who's participating in it, but there's the regulatory system needs to be able to support that because if you put have a hammer approach to imposing employment conditions on an industry which is not built around traditional notions of how work is performed um we saw through fedora that that it simply won't work
0: Mm, okay well it's basically time for us to wrap up we're coming up to half an hour Finally, any forecasts as to how this will shake out—is it going to be a messy and long and involved process that includes, you know, years of iteration? Is the Labor government going to do enough when it comes to consultation and 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 having flexibility and adaptive strategies in the legislation? What do we reckon?
1: Yeah, look, I think I think the ministers set a pretty ambitious timetable. Um, I, you know, there's, I, I think he's spoken about there being. Uh, legislation for us to be considering within months um, with a view to looking to try and roll this out you know within the next 12 months uh, i think we saw from the road safety remuneration tribunal um, which was um, an add-on to the Work commission uh, and was a dismal failure that trying to rush these things through ends up with a whole lot of unintended consequences and a system that implodes on itself Mm. and there will be a lot of care that's taken to make sure this works i think picking up your earlier comment that, you know, these are these are really complex issues and we can't just approach it the way we always have, means that there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done because it's not just a case of expanding the modern award system to cover employment-like areas of work. So the Commission, um, uh, you know, has incredible leadership with Um, Justice Ross at the helm, who's really innovative and very clever. And and I think that they will be looking to try and set it up to succeed, but it will be a long process.
0: Okay. yeah. Look, uh, one
2: advantage that they might have, I don't know if Katie agrees with this, is that... we have had uh, in other countries, including some of the Nordic countries, we have had some attempts in this space at, at reform. So there would be lessons there, and I don't know, Katie. There's there's lessons coming out of your trial as well for with um, Menu Log. Is that right?
1: yeah like there is a lot of learnings to be taken from europe i think it is interesting because going to the point of making this sustainable there's some platforms who've been able to make employment work really successfully in europe and then there's other platforms who have had to withdraw from different countries There, there is definitely lessons to be learned but the uh, industrial context in different countries in Europe is really different to the industrial absolutely. landscape we've got in Australia. We're, yeah. we're pretty unique, which is why us IR nerds love it so <laughs> deeply. But because of that history and because there are concerns of, you know, not wanting to give anything up, I think that contributes to the challenges that will exist. But, yeah, there will absolutely be a lot of attention being given to the European experience in particular, where they've been through a lot of this whether it's entirely successful or not, uh, I'm not sure everyone would agree.
2: Mm. Yeah, and uh, Stefan, just on your point about consultation, um, th- the reports are that, that it's been fairly positive. I don't know if that's just a PR exercise on the part of um, the platforms, but they're saying so far it's it's been fruitful, it's been, in their words, genuine, and it's been collaborative and all of that, and there's another one coming up. And I'm pretty happy that they've actually approached eggheads like myself to – to get in there and, and, and give some sort of perspective as well. So, yeah, I do think that it does seem like a, a genuine attempt at consultation.
0: There you go. Fingers crossed it isn't just a PR exercise. Like you say, Giuseppe, uh, it's an interesting issue. And, yeah, it might be a, a good one to revisit in 12 months' time or something like that once the once the legislation's finalised and, uh, and, and we're in this new place. That's all we have time for. Katie and Giuseppe, thanks so much for joining me on Think Business Futures.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you, Stefan, and uh, nice to meet you, Katie. You
1: too, Giuseppe.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Giuseppe Carabetta and Katie Swetman. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week, and please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Posthuma, and I'll
2: see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.